You're listening to the Canadian Canacross Sports Podcast with host Sean Sobon. Join me as I explore the sport of Canacross across Ontario and North America. Now, let's haul some tail. Welcome to the second episode of the Canadian Canacross Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Sobon. And uh, first off, I want to say thank you to everybody who has contacted me about the podcast, either on Facebook or sending emails. I really appreciate uh, the feedback and the communication. I think it's a great and beautiful thing that we have. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, today, I have a guest with me, and we have Sue Joy, who is a huge dog enthusiast. She's played an integral role in helping me form Canadian Canacross Sports from day one with our Learn to Canacross program that we hosted in 2019. She's a Canacrosser herself. She competes in dog agility. All things dogs, Sue pretty much does. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Sean. I was surprised, but um, happy to uh, join your show when you asked me. So it's pretty exciting. It's a new podcast that I was excited to see you get started. Um, I think it's a great thing, um, and it's a place for everyone to learn more, talk yeah. about Panda Cross, and just share our passion. I think the great thing about the platform is, you know, we can pretty much get anybody out there who's willing to come onto the show and talk about their own personal experience. I think it's really interesting to see things that we kind of have in common with one another and and things that we might be able to learn from one another too. I had a I had a comment from a listener regarding, you know, the high prey drive and the squirrels and things like that. So, you know, people got a few chuckles out of that. So it, it's cool to kind of see, you know, some of the struggles and some of the successes that we all have in, in similar similarity. So it's it's really neat. So you just came back from a can across run yourself. How did that go? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the run, who you were with and and how far you went? Yeah, so uh, this morning I met up with Cheryl Woods, who I actually met through your group, uh, Canadian Canacross participants. She, I guess she came out, she met us, I don't know, she met me a couple years ago for one of the training runs leading up to the, um, I can't remember what race it was, it was either the Muddy Paws or the Classic. Yeah, and so we met up you know, to do a training run. And then I've seen her at the races and, you know, social media, you become friends. And last year she did iron pause. Uh, so I met up with Cheryl this morning. She drove down from the Barry area and we went into the Paul Gray forest, which is really close to me. She brought her to uh, Malinois and I brought my two girls. So uh, Jules and extra, and uh, we did just over seven K in the Paul Gray forest. It was really cool. It's very technical, a little bit of snow, just enough, just cold enough that we were both kind of like, oh, how many layers do we need? Do we need mitts? Do we not need mitts? Do we need, you know, how, you know, it's it's always tough figuring out how to dress appropriately for winter running, but it was a lot of fun. Dogs loved it. And um, Cheryl seemed to like the Paul Gray Forest. I'm kind of familiar with it myself being so close, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a great friend. I'm I'm glad to hear it. And yeah, the Paul Gray Forest is a destination I'd love to go to with my dogs and run. I've not run it yet. So maybe you'll have to uh, take me on a tour out there one day. Um, mm-hmm. But you brought you brought up some good points there. You know, running in the winter can kind of be a season that presents its own kind of challenges. Is You're not sure, should you bring your mittens? Should you bring your toques? What kind of shoes should you wear? Should you bring, you know, ice cleats? All those types of things. So there's a lot of considerations as a human runner to kind of factor in when you're going out for a winter run. 
But there are also some considerations that we have to take for our canine running partners as well, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, things that we need to consider their paws. I mean, for example, my dogs, I've got uh, dogs that are a little bit more hairy. So, you know, I trim out the fur between their paw pads, but they still have a tendency to get little snowballs stuck in there. So I was like, do I need boots? I don't really need boots. It's not icy. It's not, there's not that much snow. Uh, so I actually ended up using a little bit of a paw bomb on them just to stop the snow buildup. And in terms of what I was not expecting today was burrs, <laughs> but the burrs don't go away in the winter. So I just, I actually just finished grouping, grooming them out because um, extra got a lot of burrs on her today. <laughs> there were some spots where there's, um, uh, you know, a lot of the trails are geared to mountain biking and fat biking. So, you know, some of the kind of really quick switchbacks with like a slope on the side, I don't know what the technical term is in biking. We ended up kind of cutting across those where we'd seen other hikers do it because they've become icy. I guess cutting across those is where extra collected some burrs and some foliage. So, you know, I, I don't carry a comb with me on a run, but back at the vehicle, I do always have something to to get stuff like that out. Yeah. And your dogs have long hair. So those birds would really long get tangled hair. in there, I imagine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think the temperature today is is actually pretty mild. It's probably somewhere around zero degrees right now. You know, so as, as a human runner, they usually say you want to dress for temperatures. You want to pretend it's 15 degrees warmer than it actually is just because of your body temperature yeah. rising as you exercise. And so I, I would say, you know, when you're, when you're running with your dogs, obviously you want to make sure that, that they don't overheat. And that's why winter is probably one of the best seasons for dogs to run because they're not going to really overheat as much. It's still definitely a, a possibility, I guess, if you run the dogs too hard. But, um, you know, your dogs have long hair. Some dogs have short hair. So this is very, really an, an individual kind of decision to make depending on your dog and, and, and where yep. they're at and how they tolerate temperatures such as cold and things like that. But, you know, you, you had mentioned in conversation, you know, depending on your dog's coat, you may want to run them with a coat or a sweater layer. And what kind of factors are helping you make that decision, whether you put something on your dog prior to going out for a winter's run? Uh, so for me, so for example, if I ran with Spy, my little Jack Russell Terrier, he probably would have been okay today. He does not like the winter. He does not like the snow and the cold, but there are days when it's mild enough. Uh, he will go with me. I would put him in a light sweater. I just know he would appreciate that his belly and his chest are really bald. So even if he was just kicking up snow or ice, you know, he would be affected by that. The girls, uh, especially Jules, even though she's got a lot of hair, she tends to run hot. So she will actually choose to cool herself down and lie in the snow. So I don't generally dress either of them. If it's to me, if it's so cold that they need clothing on it's too cold to run kind of the way I look at it what I definitely do though is I will put something on them afterwards to keep their muscles warm and to let them cool down appropriately so they're not suddenly cold if you know after our run we stop to chat a little bit or uh, I run an errand on the way home and they're just in the car you know feeling a little bit cool or whatever so I definitely put a coat on them afterwards cool down in like a timely matter rather than just going from running muscles hot to all of a sudden cold I think you said it was Jules that likes to cool off in the uh in the snow 
when she, yeah. she runs hot. Yeah. So like Luna and Piper as well, they, uh, they have a really good tolerance for the cold temperatures they can be out there forever. Like Luna is half a Husky and, and Piper is a, you know, Northern Manitoba dog. So I'm pretty sure she's got some Husky in her too. And those, those dogs really tolerate the cold really yeah, good. Like I, I've been out with them in, in wind chill runs almost like in blizzard conditions, minus 30 and, and they're fine. And I, you know, yeah. keep a real close eye on them. And, yeah. you know, I think they should be turning around to go home and they're just having a blast. I'm like, okay, we'll stay home and, or we'll keep going out. And then, you know, when we get home, they're not really ready to go in. They want to run around the yard and, and have fun. So um, it, it really is dog dependent. And I think the the more we get to know our dogs and, and kind of experiment, it's uh, all those things kind of play a factor in that. You, you also brought up a really good point with Spy. Like he's a Jack Russell. He's got a shorter coat and like you had mentioned, he's closer to the ground, right? His belly's closer to the ground. So if there, if we've got a buildup of snow, there's potential for his belly to kind of brush along that snow, especially if you're not on a groomed trail or something that's been pushed down with people's footprints and things before you. So yeah, having a little barrier between his skin and the environment is probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely, and he has some, I know that some people say like, if they put coats on their dogs or something, their dogs freeze, they won't move. My dogs are used to wearing clothing. So, you know, whether it's to put something on and warm them up after or for a spy to run in something, uh, we train agility in a, an unheated arena. So he often runs even in his agility in like a t-shirt layer or like a thin sweater layer. So my dogs are all used to it. I get, you know, dogs are like people, like like you said, you you have a hard time, you know, after a run, because you cool down so fast and it's people are the same you know some people can run hot some people can tolerate more it's the same with dogs regardless of their breed but there's definitely breeds like you know huskies or whatever my beardies uh same thing they always wanted to be outside they did not want to come in they never felt the cold um kind of thing the other only other clothing i might put on a dog is i do have <laughs> it's like a really tight like a like a skin suit or something for I'll put it on either of the girls um, to stop snowballs collecting up on their long fur. Uh, it does help with burrs too, but I, I tend to use it more for the snow buildup. And that's uh, a product that made by the nonstop dog wear company. Uh, I got it from them. It's, it's, it's like putting a sausage in a sack in the casing, <laughs> trying to get it on the dog. It's it's rather rather entertaining. <laughs> and you say your dogs kind of tolerate having that on? Yeah, yeah. They don't love it, but once it's on, they don't care that it's on, and they look ridiculous because they have these <laughs> fluffy little paws sticking out of the end and this big fluffy head. But it's so tight on their body that you just like they just have this tight, skinny little body because they do have the long fur, they build up snowballs and it builds up kind of in their groin and their armpits. And then it can impede their uh, motion even. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, that It's that perfect temperature of snow and the type of snow that makes snowballs that attach to the dog. That's when I'll use that uh, snowsuit. Yeah. And, and you made a good point there as well. Like, you know, you don't want to impede their range of motion or anything. Cause then, you know, you're going to increase the chance of, of having them get injured and, uh, you know, it's a good call. I'd love it. I'm going to ask you to send me a picture of your dogs in those suits. Okay. I'm, going to, I'm going to put it up on our Instagram account because I'd love to see that. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I bet. So, you know, you had mentioned like a little bit about paw care. You put some balm on there to kind of help protect from snow buildup. And I think one of the good things, because I use balm for my dog's paws as well. And I'm lucky where I live, they don't use salt on the roads or the sidewalks. It's primarily just sand that they put down. 
which is great because salt is a really big irritant for dogs' paws. Um, so I find the balm is good for that. My dogs won't wear boots, like they just won't. So I'm not even going to bother. And, you know, maybe if they were puppies and I kind of got them conditioned to having those things on, it would be good. But um, do you ever use boots or do you stick primarily with with a balm or what's your preference? Uh, so I, I do have boots for them and they will all wear them. The what I what I the way I've figured out the best way to do it is to throw the boots on them indoors. Of course, they do that ridiculous little high stepping dance. But if you put the boots on them outside, even just in your yard, and do something fun that they know, like play ball or frisbee, they don't they don't even know the boots are on. So that's how I get my dogs used to them. I will use the boots if I'm doing something either like a faster speed, like ski joring, bike joring, uh, or my dog sled. And or if there's somewhere that it's likely to be icy, um, like a packed trail that people have walked on and kind of packed down to where the point it can get icy, um, I would not choose to run on that surface. If that's what the trail was like, I would probably run on the road. So I, I, I mean, there's they do salt around me. I find my dogs get over it quickly. Like they, again, they do the kind of little limp, like, ow, 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 it hurts at first, but then they kind of get over it. Okay. Uh, I just make sure when I get home, I wash their paws. Like I have a, I'll get a wet towel and just wash it off. Yeah, paws. just get any residue or anything that might be yeah. there. Plus that, that it's kind of like Vaseline almost, right? Like a similar consistency. The paw bomb? With the paw bomb, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I, I have one, I have a bunch of different ones that you can just put on with your fingertips. I have one that rolls on, like, or you like smush it on like a deodorant stick. Yeah, so they're they're good about that, or the, they're good with boots too. So you're lucky; you can get, you got the best of both worlds here, then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The boots actually help with the snowball buildup in the fur between the pads, but yeah. the paw bomb does not. And what about what about the you know the dog nails? Um, it's it's always a good idea to have them them trimmed. Yeah. You know, yeah. so tr- trim trim the nails, trim the fur in between. I guess just to kind of yeah limit the buildup in any injury, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially, I mean, if you're, if their nails are long, they can catch on anything. Like I had a dog break a nail getting stuck between the boards of a deck in the middle of summer. So just having them trimmed for whatever, you know, all the time they can, because they're, if it's slippery, they're going to try to be gripping on ice. You can get a broken nail, um, fitting their paws into their boots. Nails need to be short. Otherwise it's going to be either hurting. Like if you can imagine Imagine you don't cut your toenails and you put your shoes on and try to go for a ride like this and so annoying. Yeah. So keeping their nails trimmed for both reasons. Let's talk a little bit about kind of a pre-run routine. So I know I'm, I'm really bad with this myself. Like if I'm going to go exercise, if I'm going out for a run or whatever, like I don't warm up. I know I should. But I figure, you know, the first kilometer is my warm up and then I can can start to feel good. But you're you're a big advocate of warming up dogs before doing any sort of exercise. Let's dive into that a little bit. What are what are the benefits and, and the risks of not warming up, I guess? So benefits of warming up and the risks of not warming up your dog. And how would we go about doing that? Um, so like people, you know, you go to the gym or you're going to go out for a run yourself, like you got to get the blood, the blood flowing through your body. You can't just get out and go like you can, but you shouldn't, <laughs> um, so kind of get the blood flowing, moving through the body, get, you know, your heart rate going up a little bit. Um, it's pretty simple with dogs, even just healing them back and forth in a pattern back and forth or doing circles, 
for the exact same reasons, just getting the blood flowing, checking muscles. You know, if there's something that they've injured, even doing something simple like jumping off the couch or out of your truck or whatever, if they've tweaked something and you're doing a warm up, you're going to see it before you start out for a 5k run. And then you might decide, hmm, something doesn't look right. Maybe I shouldn't run my dog today kind of thing. So it's a good way to, um, do like a, you know, a preview for injuries or anything that might be bothering your dog. You can have your equipment on for the same reason. Just make sure everything, you know, looks good. Nothing's twisted or tucked or, you know, kind of sitting, everything's sitting in the right place. Just getting ready for your actual run, like your exercise. Uh, without warming up, unfortunately, you're putting yourself, if you don't warm up, <laughs> and your dog at risk of injury. Unfortunately, one of my dogs uh, got quite seriously injured a number of years ago when I rushed to get him exercise before I had to go to work. So I kind of brought him outside, quickly threw a whole bunch of Frisbees, you know, like throw it, catch it, throw it, catch it, you know, in a couple of minutes, real quick, 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 get it done. Put him back in the house, went to work, came home after my shift. He's limping. Why is he limping? I didn't warm him up. So he strained a muscle. Uh, he actually strained it on both sides of his body quite seriously. And it, it was months off of doing any exercise. It was so serious. He wasn't allowed to jump up into my van. He wasn't allowed to do stairs. I had to carry him upstairs. He couldn't jump on and off the couch or the bed. He had to be lifted or just told not to. Even that, you know, that height of a couple of feet was enough that he wasn't allowed to do it. And that's simply because I didn't warm him up. Yeah, it's such an unfortunate thing, too, because... You know, an ounce of prevention uh, would have saved you months and months, I guess, of yeah. of grief and 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 pain and and recovering from an injury. And I guess you know, as our dogs age too, it's it's a lot more important to kind of get those those warm ups in. And you know, if you make it part of your routine, it's yeah. just like it becomes automatic, and then you don't even think about it. And then it's just that much safer for you and your dog, right? And I really like how you mentioned too; it's a great opportunity to do an equipment check. Just yeah. make sure there's nothing frayed. All your clasps and, and buckles are are in proper working order. There's nothing worse than than running with your dog on a trail and realizing they're getting a little bit farther away, and you're no longer hooked up to them. And and that's happened to me before. I had I had my clasp break, and I didn't know it because I didn't check. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm running. I'm like, where'd the tension go? And why is why is Piper getting farther away from me? So thankfully, she came back when I called her, and I. Uh, Jerry rigged the solution. And uh, that's one of the things I do now is I, I double, triple check my stuff before I get out the front door. Because uh, if you're not on a trail and you're kind of running around town where there's cars and things like that, that could be that could be fatal if the dog uh, gets out into traffic or something, right, when they're running. So got to be super careful about that. So, so all good things to put into practice um, just for the safety of you and your dog and, uh, you know, keeping keeping an eye on your equipment cool down is just as important. Yes. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about a cool down and kind of what strategies you use to cool the dog down other than not running anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So same thing, you know, I mean, towards the end of my run, I know, especially if I'm out on my own or if I plan it with someone, okay, we're going to go to this distance or this time or whatever. And then I will make the last little bit, uh, you know, I'll slow it down to a walk. The dog is still attached to me, but even once we get back to whether it's you're met in a parking lot or if I'm running from home, um, I slow down getting back to my starting point. Um, and that is when I will throw coats on my dogs. 
so I'll take their harnesses off, uh, kind of do some uh, manual stretching of their limbs, double check their paws, make sure nothing happened that I missed, you know, nails, uh, cuts, see if they've got snowballs or anything stuck, uh, get their harnesses off them and put a coat on them and then give them water. That's kind of what I do. So it's just gradually slowing down the exercise, but also checking everything while I'm, you know, manually stretching them and removing their harnesses and putting coats on them. Like, oh, why are you not letting me kind of reach your right forelimb forward? You must, you know, is something sore in there, something tight? And then, you know, later on, I'm going to watch for any leanness or anything like that. So it's just bringing the heart rate down, letting them cool down, but not so much that they get cold throw the coat on them, make sure I can physically, you know, handle them and manipulate them a little bit. And, you know, they don't react to anything saying, Hey, I'm sore. That hurts. Or I don't like that kind of thing. Yeah. That's a great opportunity to get your hands on your dog and just kind of assess them, make sure there's nothing weird going on with them, you know, knowing their typical behaviors. And, and then, you know, you can be alerted if, if there's something that's kind of off with them and they can kind of dig a little bit deeper. It's so important to kind of know your dogs, I think, too, when you're running. I had an incident back in November. I was up in Kawartha Lakes uh, visiting my in-laws and I always try to get out in the trails there to run with my dogs. And things were things were frozen. There was no snow on the ground just yet. And Luna and Piper and I were out for, for a 10K run. And things things were going really well. Then near the end of the run, Luna started falling back and running beside me and, and, and looking at me as we're going. I thought this, something's wrong. Luna never does this. She's always pulling. And, you know, she was, she was acting like Piper. So I'm thinking, well, did she, you know, is she sending something in the air that's kind of creeping her out? It's something felt off. So I actually ended up, I stopped running and we just walked for a bit and I kind of put two and two together and I had my suspicions. So there was, unfortunately, there was a section of road where probably on it for about a kilometer or so and it was a gravel road and and the gravel was frozen so my biggest suspicion was that you know she had injured a paw on on the gravel and you know we got back on to the to the trail where it was just you know dirt and uh so I had a look at her and, I, and she did get a small cut not really a laceration but just kind of like a like an abrasion on the bottom of her paw and it was causing her to limp. It was obviously causing her some pain because she was falling back and, and looking at me. So we kind of just did like a walk, run back, back to the cottage. Thankfully, we weren't uh, too far away yeah. at that at that point. But uh, she was on, you know, <laughs> I babied her. I'm like, you're on bed rest for the next month. But, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I kind of I cleaned and washed her paw, just took her out for short walks after that. Um, and then within within two weeks, her paw healed up back to normal. Um, so we babied it for a bit and there was no other injury involved. It just was like a kind of local pad injury, but just one of those things I felt, I felt horrible and responsible at the same time. Right. So could I have avoided it? Maybe, you know, if we had picked a different route, but it's something just, I didn't consider the conditions that the, the ground would be frozen and cause that. Cause usually that route, when we run it, it's wintertime is covered in snow. So there's never an issue. Right. Yeah. Or, or if it's in the fall, the ground is softer and, and they don't get into problems. But yeah, I try to avoid the gravel roads. Just unfortunately, there's that little section there that we ran into some trouble. So lesson learned, she forgave me and all is well. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so we all run it again soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's, she's back up and, and running hundred percent. Let's, let's talk a little bit about hydration and, and water. You know, a lot of people, I, I don't know if it's a, if it's a common misconception or not, but think, you know, oh, it's cold outside. I don't need to bring water with me when I'm running. 
right? And it's the exact opposite is true. You, you still need water with you while you're running, even in cold temperatures, your body's still losing, losing fluid, you're still producing sweat, and, and you need to stay hydrated. And same goes for our dogs. I'll always leave my house uh, with my dogs. I have a handheld water bottle that I bought many years ago. It's great. It just has a little, you know, strap that holds onto my hands. I don't have to clasp it the whole time. Just a little bit of an assistance, but it's important to have that water for the dogs on the runs as well. What are some strategies you use to, to get your dogs to drink while you're running? And, and do you give them water before a run? Do you give them water during the run? How do you kind of go about getting them uh, hydrated? So for me, I personally hate carrying water. I hate it so much. I hate <laughs> waist belts. I hate having it in my hands. The only time that I will carry water on my for myself is on like on one of those backpack kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the winter, the tube freezes. So I tend not to take water on my run. Um, I will bring it in like so for example today I drove to the parking lot to meet Cheryl so I will always have water in my vehicle for the dogs afterwards mm-hmm. um Jules I just know my own dogs Jules drinks a lot anyways um extra does not drink a lot knowing I was going running today I was encouraging them to drink a lot yesterday just by whenever extra goes to water I always reward her and I just say good girl just because she does not drink a lot. Um, and what I did do last night in their dinner meal and in their morning meal this morning is I added water to their food. They do eat raw, so they're getting more water in their food than, say, kibble-fed dogs, but I still added water to it. Another trick that I know some people use, I tried it once and it backfired, so there, you have to do have to take some caution, is adding like having water in your dogs, either in their crate or where they can have access to it and putting something in it that will make it tasty. So I actually think I used cat food, like like canned cat food. What happened was extra drank the entire bucket of water and then Peter crate. <laughs> she was like, oh, this is delicious. Wait a minute. I drank all that water. I got to pee. <laughs> um, so it did backfire on me, but that's something you can do is, is put a little bit of something in their water to entice them to drink more. Um, you can add their food. You can add, uh, I know some people have done it with bone broth. Uh, it just adds a bit of flavor to encourage them to drink, to hydrate before their run. Not immediately before I do it, like, an hour to two hours before. So my girls had breakfast this morning with their water added. Uh, they ate, I went out, I was working today. So I went out and worked. Uh, so by the time I did everything, came back and drove to meet Cheryl, it was like an hour and a half that they had had this, their food with the extra water in it. Um, and then I had water for them after the run, even though along the run, they were both eating snow. So <laughs> figured <laughs> that's hydration <laughs> absolutely as long as they're not eating the yellow snow but with exactly. dogs you never know <laughs> exactly. i won't even tell you what piper's done but <laughs> oh boy but you know extra certainly uh living up to her name drinking extra oh. water making extra work for you cleaning out the crate percent i was like okay note to self <laughs> oh, i love it i love it i do want to add like if i'm going out for a short run like 5k or less there there are times i won't bring water and if i do it's probably going to be for me luna will always take water when i give it to her piper not so much but if i'm if i'm getting up into that you know seven eight ten kilometer range with the dogs and i'll make sure i have water but it, it is easy to think you know what it's cold outside and i don't need to bring it so important to 
to consider that. But yeah, if your dogs are going to eat snow, they're going to get hydration through there too. And it's, you know, it's going to help cool them down. But you also made a very good point too. You, you try to get them or get that water into them an hour and a half, two hours before you head out, because you don't want the dogs having anything sloshing around in their bellies while you're out there running. Right. Yeah. And you don't want them, you don't want to wait until after because they can, they can cramp like, like we can when we dehydrate. There's definitely feelings and things that, you know, if your dog suddenly started limping or cramping or something, and then, and now you're like the whole mystery of, okay, they can't talk to me. So what is it? Are they injured? Are they, you know, it's, it just eliminates that one thing out of the puzzle. If something does go wrong while they're hydrated. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's, that's great. I think, I think we covered a lot of stuff about kind of winter running. Are there any other tips or tricks that you would recommend or things that you've picked up uh, over the years with cannon crossing with your dogs in the winter that you'd like to share? It's funny because Cheryl and I were talking today and we both, when we both started years ago, there wasn't the availability then of what there is now in terms of equipment. So we both started with this kind of um, this other equipment. Uh, it was called Canada Dog. I don't think they're around anymore. It didn't have like the leg straps. It kind of sat high, like on your low back. So mm-hmm. um, I think just trying different equipment and figuring out what works for you. So that was my initial introduction to the sport. I didn't know anyone who did it. I can't even remember where I saw it or thought I wanted to try it. Um, but I just ordered this belt and harnesses for my dogs. And I, I went out and I did it. I never saw anyone else doing it for years. Um, and then I heard it was big in Quebec and over in Europe. And then looking into it, more equipment became I think it was always available. It just became more aware to me where to get it. So for today, Cheryl and I were talking about that's where we both started with this Canada dog. Uh, I have Nahak equipment, but I did try her um, her nonstop dog wear uh, belt today, the Canacross belt. So I think just figuring out the right equipment for you and your dog too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Be, it could be a harness from one company is best for your dog, but a belt for yourself uh, from another company might be, it doesn't matter. You can mix and match it. Just, um, figuring out what works for you is going to make uh, a big difference in you and your dog enjoying the sport. Oh, absolutely. I remember, you know, when I first started out, I wasn't sure if it was something that was, was going to go well with me and my dog. So I bought like a, a cheap Amazon loop belt that goes across your lower back and, you know, kind of a crappy bungee line that attaches to the dog. And when I switched over to like an actual Canacross belt, the difference was night and day because the Canacross belt is, is designed to have all the pulling from your hips, right? Kind of at your butt instead of your lower back. So comfort level for me is was night and day. So I would never go back to that system. Um, it, it served its purpose. It kind of got me introduced to the sport and what it was like. And then uh, once I realized it was for me, I, uh, you know, got, got proper gear and stuff. And, you know, while we are on the topic of, of gear, and running in the winter, I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that can help you stay visible at night too, because in these winter months, you know, the, the daylight is, is really short. So if you're going out after work, if you work like a nine to five or something, you are probably going to be running in the dark. So I think it's important to get some reflective gear. What could you tell us about kind of specific reflective dog gear? Um, I have a uh... I have everything. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> I didn't say you're a dog enthusiast and everything dog you do. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. You know, I buy something. I'm like, oh, well, that's okay for now, but there's something better. You know, I have reflective vests, but they're not ideal for running in. And then you're like, do you put the harness over or do you put the 
vest over. So I do kind of have one vest that fits on any of the girls. It's just like a shorty. It kind of just goes over their shoulder. It's reflective. But I invested in the Knox Gear Light Hound. They make a vest for people too. Um, I don't have that one. I have. I just have the dog ones. And it's, again, it's a vest. It's more like a harness than a vest. And I actually put, so I put their can across equipment on first. And then I put this uh, light hound over top of that. Sorry about that. Um, and it has, it lights up. You can change the color. You can have it flashing. It can stay solid. So basically over the entire uh, shoulders is lit up. It also have re has reflective stuff on it. So if some if your battery runs out and the say the lights go out, there's still reflection on it. My Canacross harnesses do have little reflective strips. And for me, I make sure I have something reflective on, whether it's on my tube or I do have um, a vest. It's like a it's like a mesh pinny kind of from Mountain Equipment Co-op, and I, I can throw it over any coat. It's very adjustable at the side, so it can go over something, you know, if I'm going out really cold and over something thick, or, you know, even in the summer, if I'm running, why would I run really late at night when it's dark? But sometimes you just don't know. <laughs> it can go over like something thin. So yeah, I always make sure got the lights, something reflective on them and me. There's a lot of options out there. There's, you know, from inexpensive to, I think my, you know, I got one that was like $15. The Lighthound harnesses were, I think, 80 when I got them. They have really good, it's past now, but they have really good Black Friday sales and stuff like that. So those are good options. Yeah, I think they are. I think um, the lighting, I ended up getting LED collars from Home Depot for oh, yeah, cheap. Yeah. I, I put them on my dog. I can't remember how much they were. And, you know, you can you can cut them to length and they just fit around your dog. You hit the button yeah. and, and they light right up. One thing I've done with my uh, dog harnesses as well, and I added bells to the back where I, where I clip onto them. So yeah. we're, when we're, we're running, there's no surprises if we're running up along, you know, somebody who's walking, you'll, you'll hear us coming because the bells are going off. But I think it's also good, like, you know, especially when I'm up in the Quarthos, like I've come across black bears before and stuff running out there. So those bells will kind of alert any other animals out there. Hey, something is coming. I don't like it. So hopefully it, you know, reduces any chance of an encounter that I yeah. wouldn't want to be in, especially with my dogs there. Right. So being seen and being heard, I think are two things that are good to do. Yeah, that's a good idea with the bells. I, I do have bear bells that I will sometimes put on the dogs, but um, I never even thought of it. I thought, it, you know, I use them more for wildlife, but even for a person, knowing they're coming up behind them is a good, you know, on a bike, you would have a bell. I originally put them on just because it was like Christmas time. I thought, oh, we'll be festive and run with bells. But then I thought, you know what, this is actually pretty good because people hear us coming. So I kept them yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did the same. I actually put bells on extra for the the run that I did just before Christmas for that exact reason. Like, you right. know, <laughs> yeah 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 but they serve a dual purpose you can be festive and let people know you're coming <laughs> yeah so today as we're recording this it's sunday january 7th we're exactly one week away from the snowy paw canacross race at island lake uh things are really coming together i am so pleased and excited to announce that the 5k race is completely sold out awesome. this is our this is our first sellout so i'm nice. pretty ex pretty excited about that I've been talking to people and, and there's a lot of excitement and buzz about it. So what's better is we're going to have snow. The, so the race will live up to its name. Considering the December we just had, uh, where it was like an extended, nice, mild fall. Snow yeah. is in the forecast. So uh, really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a great morning and early afternoon out at Island Lake. 
Um, temperature should be great. I think it's going to be like minus five, somewhere around there. So not really that cold and uh, lots of snow on the trails. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's um, Island Lake is nice and flat. It can be open in some parts, but having the snow, it's going to be a great atmosphere, a nice cushioning because it's going to be, you know, just a couple of days fresh, which will be good. Yeah. Yeah. And and for the people who are who are listening and are coming to the race, um, I'm going out tomorrow to make some final minor adjustments to the course. If you've never been to Island Lake, it's it's a really beautiful area. And um, there is a big loop that goes around the entire lake. And that loop contains, oh, a couple kilometers of actual like bridges to, to cross the lake. So out of concern for the dogs and the fact that those bridges aren't maintained in the winter, I've eliminated those from being part of our course because I don't want anybody slipping on the ice and I don't want any dogs getting injured on, on that terrain. So we're running in the sections that there's, there's three kind of trails that I've incorporated into this loop. So we've got the Sugarbush Trail, the Memorial Forest Trail, and a portion of the Vicky Barron Lake Trail, which is kind of the big one that goes around. Um, so it's, it's been a bit of a challenge to try to hit the distance of the 5 and 10K uh, within that section. But to give you a preview of what the terrain is going to be like, the Sugarbush Trail is going to be the most technical part of the race. There are some rocks and some routes to deal with, and there's some single track there. Um, but once you get into the Memorial Forest Trail, it's almost like it's double wide. There's real no rocks or routes to kind of contend with, so it's nice and easy. And then you get up into the Vicky Barron area. So that's where you're going to kind of run along the lake. You'll get to see Island Lake there. I think there's one small footbridge there. There is a covered bridge in that section. And I really would like to try to incorporate that into the race because it's it's just really nice and scenic there. And it's not a very long bridge. So I will have the final route of, of what I did. It's, it's by far flattest course of all our three races. And I think it's going to be a super fast and super fun time out there. So it's, it's, it's going to be good. I think everybody will be pretty happy about it. So, so yeah, Sue, we will see you on Saturday, January 13th at the Snowy Paw. And together we will haul some tail. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Sean. This was fun. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help support the show and help grow the sport of Canacross, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Canadian Canacross Sports. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email us at CanadianCanacrossSports at gmail.com or you can leave us a DM on Instagram. Talk to you next time. Haul some tail.